0: Father, we come together this morning. We come with a great joy and a thanksgiving. Father, because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory as the only begotten of you, full of grace and full of truth. Father, that's a message that has echoed down through the centuries. It was a message that was even, even there before time existed. And Father, it is such a message of grace and mercy and love. And Father, as Thomas goes to his class this morning, I pray for a special blessing upon him and upon the teachers and that your son might be exalted. I pray also for this time together looking at your word and the challenges that are facing us this coming year. And Father, I pray that your hand will be in it as well, that you will speak through me to all those who might listen that it will encourage and stimulate them to love and good deeds. Father, we pray that Your hand will be upon this time. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. You may be dismissed, and <clears throat> please open to James chapter five and verse twelve. <clears throat> Voice just kind of floundered in and out. <clears throat> We're at a point in time we, wanna, we want to ask, how then do we live? Because we've, oh yeah, pray, Disney, no. Somebody's praying that the devil be bound on this thing, I know. (laughs) We are looking at... How do we live? We've taken a look at the revelation that is found in the Olivet Discourse. That there will come a time when there's only one generation left of the church. The Lord knew what He was getting ready to do when He gave the Olivet Discourse, the week of the cross. He was getting ready to die on the cross. And He... His disciples said, tell us when will be the sign of, the, of your coming and the end of the age. And they're asking him a whole ton of questions. And <clears throat> he took four of them up the mountain, Mount of Olives. And he said, I'm going to tell you. And he answered their question for them. Now he didn't give them a whole lot of details or specifics, but he gave them some important information. And he said this is what you're to look for. You're going to see people coming as false Christ, false messiahs. You're going to see all kinds of things. And he said, "Let me tell you something. That's just the beginning of birth pangs. You're going to see nation rising against nation, wars, uh, famines. you're going to see those type of things. And that's what and you're going to know the time is getting close. And then he starts giving more information. When you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it should not be, and you have to go back to Daniel to find out what he's talking about there. And you find out that he's talking really about the time the Antichrist ascends to power. He puts his image into the temple. He requires that everybody worship him. He is the Antichrist. And that's the abomination of desolation, standing where it should not be. We know we put a lot of passages together with that. Second Thessalonians 2 tells us he went in there and proclaimed himself a god. And so he wanted everybody to worship him. And we know from what's going on right now, this world is being prepared for that. It is being prepared for the mark of the beast. There are some countries already putting little microchips in people's hands. They can update them with... Uh, uh, they can update them with vaccine information and all kinds of things that go on. And so we have to, we know it's close. Now that's not the mark of the beast. Wrong dispensation, wrong time frame. It'll happen after the rapture. And we know that because the angel that comes through, three angels, one of them says, do not take the mark of the beast. And if the rapture has already occurred in the book of Revelation before that, particular event is described. So it's not there. But what it's doing is preparing people to get in line and get this thing. It's exactly what it's doing. So there is a, a information plenty of information that if you put it together and understand the Bible literally although it uses figurative language you know there would come a time in history and it was not the first century. Nothing to do with the first century no way that one nation could take over another nation without ever leaving its own border couldn't do it not one way could a, a arrow a flaming arrow smash people in pieces cuz arrows pierce. They don't smash. There were some things that had to happen like a 200 million man army just being one of them and there weren't 200 million people alive on the earth in the first century according to anthropologists. There weren't that many people. But everything has come together. All of the cycles of history have converged and so we know it's near the end of time. Now how long is the generation going to be We've discussed that because people have started setting dates. They determine what a generation could be. Uh, i tell you the truth, 40 years ago, I thought the rapture was going to happen 40 years ago. A lot of us did. I mean, Israel came back into the land, 40-year generation, 1948, 1988, minus 7 years. 1981 was supposed to be the rapture. And we're still here, so it didn't happen, and we are not living in the Millennial Kingdom one of the proofs that it's not the rapture. So, and then it kept going on, well, a generation's 50 years, and a generation's 70 years, and a generation's 80 years. And all you have to do is go to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and if if you know some numbers as to who was born when, and when they lived, and all that, you can calculate it out and find your three different generational links found in Matthew 1. It's real easy to do. You know from Adam to Abraham, 1950 years. How many generations? Fourteen. Oh. Because that's what it says. Fourteen generations. And so then we get the generational aspects and see that, yeah, it could be a long period of time. But somebody will be alive When Israel became a nation, I firmly believe, the evidence points this out, whenever the Lord comes back at the second advent, not the rapture, the second advent. Because that's what he was talking about. So it's been laid out. Then we started looking at, after the revelation of the fact, we're here, so what? Because the Bible doesn't tell us about events without saying, this is how you need to live. In light of this, you need to live this way. Now, our job is to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Second Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, We make it our ambition to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. That should be who we all, who we all are. 5.10 says, Because we all have to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? To give recompense for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable, that word acceptable is well-pleasing, or whether they're worthless. See the Lord defines good and bad. That's what He does, and He's the one that works all things together for good to those that love Him. So we we find out that we need to prepare because the judgment seat of Christ is designed for the church, and judgment must start with the household of God. So when the rapture happens, we're going immediately to judgment. Isn't that scary? scary to think we're going immediately to judgment. But the fact you're standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ means you're saved. That is not a judgment for heaven or hell. That is a judgment for rewards. And you can hallelujah that one. I mean, if, if he throws all your works into the fire, and it all goes, kind of like the bonfire that somebody... This, or the charcoal or somebody decide they'd help with a little bit of lighter fluid after it's already going. That goes, That might look like somebody's wood, hay and stubble going up in smoke. But what's left's the gold, silver and precious stones. What you want when they all go into the fire is it kind of goes and it's done, see. It's over with. You want the gold, silver and precious stones to be left. So here is this this time of rewards, the judgment seat of Christ, and that is, that is a, a great blessing. So how do we live? Because that's where the rewards come from. Salvation does not come from works. We're told that directly. But works produce rewards. And he wants us to have the crowns that are offered. He wants us to have a big pile of gold, silver, and precious stones. He wants us to have all those things. Why? Because He loves us. It's just like a parent with a child. That You want the best for your children. That's what you want. The difference is He does it perfectly. We're the ones that mess things up from time to time. But He he wants the best for His kids. And we're His kids. Now, what we found here in James 5 is one of the big tests towards people... And circumstances in the last days. And it deals with the super rich. And it's tribulational for sure when all the fulfillment of this will take place. But it's also called the beginning of birth pangs in the Olivet Discourse. So we're seeing it go on right now. What's going to happen between now and the rapture? The rich are going to get richer. That's what's going to happen. You can take some of these guys in the top 50 list and they're going to manufacture more crises or do away with more competition. All they can, that's the way they think. Because they their God is money and power. When that happens, fame, fortune, power, and pleasure all pop into, pop into place and you find out the rich of the last days have a lascivious streak in them that just won't stop. And that's coming to the forefront. See how it's, all converging, it's all coming together. Now we have just seen in verse 10 and 11 the importance of patience. We count as blessed those who have endured, such as Job. And then verse 12 says, but above all, and this is the word pra, Greek word pra, and it means at before, as a priority, is what he's saying. Pra is a more of a temporal pronoun than it is a, a, a superficial pronoun above and beyond. It's not really above all. It's as a priority. He says, my brethren, do not swear. I like the way the New Testament does a lot of these things. This do not swear is, uh, is translated like don't ever swear. But it's, it's a weak negative may with a present imperative. And it says stop it. And don't start. So that's why they translate it: "Do not swear, like never do this, never do this." And this says, "Stop it," because what we find out is that we heard we do a lot of things that need to be stopped. And this is a, a lot of the commands in the New Testament the same way: "Stop it," because it knows in the sin nature that uh, we we may have been doing these all along, unless you've been more and more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So it says. <clears throat> Stop swearing. Either by heaven. Or by earth. Or with any other oath. Okay. <clears throat> Very clear statement that's made here. But your yes is to be yes. That is to be is actually another command. Your yes is to be yes. And your no is to be no so that you may not fall under Croesus judgment judgment it's interesting the thing about judgment is this eternal judgment is this judgment in time what is it? it could be all of it could it not it's interesting whenever you give your word sometime and it doesn't happen you get judged by people here on earth what did the what did the Pharisees do hypocrites well, they would swear by the gold of the temple, but, um, uh, and then you had to keep that promise. Anyway, it says, so you might not fall under judgment. Now, James is dealing with oath-taking, <clears throat> an oath-making that had become a legalism under the Mosaic Law, and then greatly abused. There were oaths that were designed under the Mosaic Law, and it says when you give an oath, this is what you do, and you're supposed to keep it. And if you have to break it, it's costly. It is a violation of the law, and there's a penalty that goes along with it. Now, there, in a sense, is that same type of law brought into American law and all kinds of law. There's contract law is what it is called, and so when you give an oath, you've made a contract with somebody that... For, for this consideration, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. I used to sell real estate a long time ago, and contracts were always interesting. Because when you wrote them up, and especially the more the attorneys got involved in it, you had to be sure they were exactly right. Because if they weren't exactly right, somebody could find a way to get out of it. I still remember when people used to buy and sell cars on a handshake. I mean, it was just... You know, that was a time that's long since gone. But <clears throat> that's the, it says if you give your word, keep, keep your word. So they made up this, this uh, all these different kind of oaths that somebody could take. And along with that, they made escape clauses. See, the scribes were the attorneys back then. Why did he say scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. I find it interesting that a lot of attorneys today, they learn how to win. It's not about right and wrong, not about ethics, not about honor. They want to win. And they'll win at almost any price to figure out how to do it. It'd be interesting if they actually uh, tried to find out if the person charged with a crime was guilty or not. Instead of how can they present this... What can they withhold from the other side? How can they do this in order to get their win? Either a conviction or an acquittal, whatever that might be. The Jews had began to play word games. Sound familiar? To evade responsibility for the oaths they had taken. Now, Matthew 23, verse 16 to 22. This is when the Lord has been real nice for three and a half years. He has been gently persuading. He has been speaking the truth and speaking it in love. And they haven't listened. Week of the cross. He starts into this, woe to you. Woe indicates there's an impending judgment coming. Now, it was still going to be 37 years away until 70 AD. But it is coming. And it was impending. He says, "Woe to you, blind guides! Whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated." What's he saying? The temple there was a, was a location sanctified and set apart by the Lord God Almighty. And so, if they swore an oath by the temple, it doesn't mean anything. But if you make a a financial commitment, you're obligated to keep it. See, that's the way this thing, that's the way this thing worked. Interestingly enough, it goes that way a lot of times in uh, law today, whether or not there's money involved, and how much money is involved, and all that. <clears throat> he says, "You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold?" Who set it apart? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the offering upon it, he's obligated. You swear to bring an offering, you make an oath to bring an offering, you're going to bring a bull and you bring a turtle dove, that ain't going to work. You have to go get the bull. <clears throat> you blind men, which is more important, offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now, he's saying if you're going to make those oaths, then you better be prepared to keep them all around. Because when you start making the oath, the Lord knows. He knows when you made a promise and he wants you to want you to keep it. Now this is an exhortation <clears throat> to avoid phony displays of piety and let your honesty proceed from within via your speech and actions. Because oftentimes this was a big production that was done where they made these oaths, and then they didn't keep them. They figured out a way to get out around them. It's just like having somebody at oh maybe a fundraiser or something, and somebody says, "I'll give a thousand dollars," and the next thing you know, other people are doing it. When the first one was just a shill, they used them in the uh, carnivals and stuff. It was just a shill, and that's all they were going to do. They weren't making they were making a public display to try and get other people to follow along. And so it became a big uh, one-upmanship party. Who's going to do this? They were hypocrites. And Jesus was calling them out in no uncertain terms. You're an actor. A hypocrite is an actor. You're phony. That's all you are. And he says, Matthew 5. This goes all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. See, Matthew 23 is the week of the cross. Matthew 5 is not long after he began his... His earthly ministry. So he warned them about this three and a half years earlier. In Matthew chapter 5 he says, I say to you, make no oath at all. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king nor shall you make an oath by your head for you can't make one hair white or black but let your statement be yes, yes or no no and anything beyond these is of evil don't put on a show for people whenever you give your word when you give your word you've actually made an oath already so you don't need the show to go along with it it's a matter of honor Now what are we looking at here in James 12 in the last days? He's teaching us a real important principle that honor is so very important in the last days. And what are we going to be tested to do in the last days? Cheat. We're going to be tested to just do things to get by, to do things to get ahead, to not play the game by the rules. We're going to be tested to cheat. How many... um, how many football coaches have been caught in the last few years cheating? Yeah, more than one. Uh, how about uh, basketball coaches? You know, it's it's really kind of bad when you got somebody in charge of the ethics committee of the Big Eight, Big Twelve, whatever, and they get indicted for fraud for cheating. And then it's the the wolf in the hen house, isn't it? You put them in there, they make this set of rules, and then hope that they will never get caught by doing that. And it's a a shame. Some people just like that, because they think winning at any cost (coughs) is all there is to this life. And it's not all there is to this life. A lot of shows portray that anymore. A lot of the ones that are very popular shows that you see, it's all about winning It's the, is the mantra that they are teaching. It's not all about winning. It's about preserving honor. Because does God keep his promises? If we're to be an imitator of God from Ephesians 5.1, don't you think we should too? I mean, it's a very simple deduction, very simple application. But in these last days with the ultra-rich, and they're stealing everything they can possibly steal, it's going to be easy to try and play their game and get ahead as well. We don't need to to do that. This is an application of the royal law. James 2.8. See, it's earlier on in this book. We didn't cover all this. But to love your neighbor as yourself. Is an application of the of the royal law. Love your neighbors yourself. Now some people think you can get into heaven by doing that. You you can um, you can fulfill the royal law. Love your neighbors yourself. Do no harm to anyone and things like that. And and this uh, and and that's all you got to do to get into heaven. <clears throat> I think they call it good neighbor theology or something like that. And <clears throat> Loving your neighbors yourself, you cannot get into heaven. It's not going to work. We've got some good neighbors next door to us. They're neat people. Um, we got got a little text message yesterday and said, "Merry Christmas to you. Hope this is very well. Uh, hope it's done very well for you." And says you have a little goodie in your mailbox. And so we went out there and I thought, oh gosh, more sugar to go with this stuff. We're already eating. But it was a little goody. And so we already had a little goody made for him next door. So I immediately go out the door and take it over and put it in his mailbox. Thank you. And there's one in your mailbox too. (laughs) And it was just the way things worked out. It's neat when you know when, when they ambulance came and took Helen in the, in the back in November from that fall that uh, all the neighbors were there called I mean with they were there before the ambulance pulled away and they were wondering what happened and you know how could they be of help if you need anything to do is a real uh, real blessing and we, we know we don't know the whole block but we know a few people on the street and the ones we know are all believers and and uh, that's, that's a, a great thing. We actually need to get together because there was an LBGT flag went up on a flagpole down the street from some people that just bought a, bought a house down there and moved into the neighborhood. They need evangelism. Anyway, this is an application of the royal law. Broken oaths. Why does this pop up in this position in James 5? they are often a result of impatience and complaining about people or personal circumstances. They're often a result of impatience. We just get tired of waiting. So we don't keep our promise. We don't do what we should do, what we are called to do. And complaining about people or personal circumstances. I'll give you an example. I was... uh, we're putting together reports for the, some people that we work with um, through the uh, ministry. Putting together some reports for them. They're all due. They're all due the first of this month. But the projects didn't get done till later. So it's taken a while to put, put all these things together. And I was so close to having the last bit of information I need for the last report. And I, I, I had been asking this guy... I need this, I need the testimonies, da 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 And I'd asked him several times already this month, and he said he was working on them. And then I remembered he had a cyclone approaching last time I talked to him. And I got no responses since that cyclone. And so I, I, I got to find out if he's okay. And so I went every direction to get hold of him uh, to find out if he was all right and when, when I finally heard back from him uh, he said we just got our internet back and what happened was the Cyclone took out their building, it took out all their, their supplies, it took out their, uh, all their paperwork and he said I will, ha- I will have this to you because I have it electronically <clears throat> and I'll go ahead and put it together and finish it. And just about the time I got real pushy I realized that guy's been through a cyclone. I haven't talked to him since. Is he okay? And uh, One of those things you feel real bad about, and you realize you should have still been patient. But what happens? You get pushed. And you get pushed for time. And sometimes you lose your grace. And that's not the way it should be done. It's often a result of impatience and complaining about people or personal circumstances. Our circumstances are one thing. His were of a more immediate concern than what we were facing, whether we got a little report in or not. So, <clears throat> anyway, that's oftentimes how things things can happen and how we get impatient and start making bad decisions because I should have treated him with... Love for a brother uh, with every bit of grace and compassion and everything else possible. Now it frequently leads to rationalizing the truth when we grow impatient toward people. And it, It's just like happened with the Pharisees. What happened? They made, they made an oath by the, the temple and they said that's nothing. But if you swear by the, by the gold in the temple, well then that is something. And so they started... Twisting it all around. And the Lord already told them, if you make an oath, if that's what you do, first of all, don't do it. But if you're going to do it, you got to keep it. And then you can't play these word games. Because word games are known in the scripture as iniquity. It's when you take the truth and twist it to your own personal ends. And then you, you say, well, what uh, that, that this is really not displeasing in the eyes of the Lord because I believe the word means this. Well, what happens is the same thing happens in life. People go in and break in and mob stores and tear everything up and pull everything out like that. Well, I'm I'm owed it. No, you're not. It's not yours. Does the Mosaic Law condemn that? Does the Ten Commandments condemn that? Thievery is never condoned anywhere. You think that's okay? No, it's not okay. So... It frequently leads to rationalizing the truth. And they call it iniquity. Christ-like people are patient. Don't complain and keep their word. Now, you know when Christ is going to be fully formed in me and all of us? The rapture. When he comes back. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Until then, we're all subject to mistakes. We are subject to to error. But if we want to be Christ-like, do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Father, we're going to be patient. Was the Lord patient? Think about all the time going through His life, patient with the crowd, moved by compassion. Feed them, Philip. Well, we don't have enough. It would take... You know, this many denarii to, to feed him. We don't have enough. He says, what do you have? What do you have? He was patient with people. He was patient with his disciples. He was patient with the scribes and the Pharisees. He was patient with all of them. He was. Um, he didn't complain. Do we really find him complaining? I think you find him close a couple of times. About his disciples. <laughs> you think about... If I've been with you so long, you still don't understand this? It's kind of a frustration the level that level it has to be there, where he's taught them over and over and over again, and they are going to the Last Supper to meet together for the last time, and they're arguing over who's the greatest. Can you imagine that? He just is like, What? You can't even listen? How about can you pray with me for a little bit in the garden? Can you just pray with me for a little bit? And he goes back in their sleep. Hey, you guys. Come on. Complaining. And did he keep his word? Every bit of it. He said, they're going to put me on a cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Guess what? That happened. He keeps everything that he says. Failure to keep one's word brings judgment from God and men. We violate an oath. Make a promise to pay? It's interesting there, isn't it? Because it's kinda of like swear by the gold of the temple, swear by the 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 temple itself or whatever. But if you make different things, but if you if you if you swear to pay money, people are not as forgiving. <laughs> Find that out real fast. Are they? You want to buy a car? Don't make the payment. What happened? Somebody comes and gets it. That's what happens. Now, honor is to be an important part of our thoughts. Turn here with me to Philippians 4 and verse 4. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. I don't make a song out of that, shouldn't I? Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Forbearing is that you are an enduring, patient individual. The Lord is near. This is Paul saying, you got a witness here as to whether you have a forbearing spirit or not. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your th- request be made known to God. Okay? When we run into whatever it is, let your request be made known to God. See, that's the condition upon which verse 7 is. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that say? When you run into a problem, pray about it. Some people say, all I can do is pray. Pray about it first. And then pray about it some more. And he says, finally, brethren. Now this this is the point. Whatever is true. Okay, so you have to know the difference between truth and falsehood. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. See that word? Worthy—that's a word that comes from weight. Worthy of honor. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, that indicates there can be a right. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. The things that make for good reputation in you. So people might be able and willing to listen to a message that you've got about the Savior of the world. He says, if there is any excellence, excellence is the word for virtue. Virtue, that which is so lacking. If there is virtue and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned, received, and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Look at what are we supposed to think about? Philippians 4 8. Now that is a good verse for a refrigerator. Is it not? Keep right in front of us all the time. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. See these are these are Prime examples of how should we live in the last days. We want to think about these things. We have to think because we have to have our senses trained to discern good and evil. So if we're going to think about things that are right, while you're thinking about them, you've got to figure out what's right, what's wrong. If you're going to think about truth, you've got to think about what's truth, what's error. And if you got to think about virtue, what is virtuous? Whatever is honorable. Keeping your word is, is one of those things that's honor. Now, honor and time will be honored for eternity. 1 Peter 1, go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Peter 1 3. <clears throat> Beautiful passage from a guy that was a mess 30 years earlier. Peter. Writes this thing, and if you all you read was the the gospels about the apostle Peter and a few parts of the book of Acts, you'd go, boy, this guy was still a mess. Here he is, First Peter one three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But think of just what that one verse says. To obtain an inheritance. Which is imperishable. Undefiled and will not fade away. So this gold, silver, precious stones. These crowns. it is, won't ever perish. And will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that interesting? God has already got a chunk of rewards set aside in heaven for you. That's personal that is there. Reserved in heaven for you. And who are you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? A deliverance. The word salvation means a deliverance. Now what is this deliverance of the last time? Of the what? Of the last there it popped in again, didn't it? Of the last time. This deliverance of the last time is the rapture. That's when we're going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, and the rewards are going to be given out. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Didn't the Lord promise that too? In this world do you have trouble? Take heed, I've overcome the world. He promised us that. He keeps his word, right? Some of them we wish he didn't, but he does. You have trials. Why? That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable. Wow. How does gold perish? Well, you can perish it in a nuclear reactor. When the new heavens and the new earth are created and they're all burned up. Even the elements are burned up. Because gold, uh, AU if I remember the sign right. And silver, AG if I remember the sign right. Whenever, whenever it, that they're gone. In the new heavens and the earth. And new elements are created. He says, "Me more precious than gold which is perishable. Even though tested my fire. May be found to result in praise and glory. And honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When is he going to reveal himself? The rapture. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him. You'd love him. Does that sound like Hebrews 11 guys? The Hebrews 11. Heroes of the faith. We just read about. Time fails me if I speak of Gideon, Barak, Samson. Just like the writer at Hebrews wrote down. You don't see him now. But you love Him. And though you do not see Him now but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, sometimes worship just takes us into the presence of the Almighty. And sometimes to get there, because we're so self-conscious, we're self-conscious people and we just don't want to really enjoy ourselves, We almost have to be by ourselves. Like in the car driving down the road at 80 miles an hour, singing praises and hymns to him. Okay? By yourself. Because you can crank the radio up and you can sing with it as loud as you want, and it doesn't matter what's coming out of your mouth. Okay? It's all going to blend in, right? But sometimes you can really get a connection or get a set of headphones. Sometimes you can do it in a group, in a congregation. Sometimes you can really go into the presence of the Almighty. Come boldly into the throne of grace, he says. He says, obtaining is the outcome of the faith, your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a second, a phase two deliverance. The deliverance of your souls from what? From being not honorable or anything else that goes along with it. So, here is this beautiful picture that we have from Peter and he says you've got a salvation you've got an inheritance it's already laid up for you but you got to get it you got to go for it you've always wanted to work for your salvation, you can't work to get into heaven your works will never add up but if you work because you've already guaranteed it, guess what guess what I've got more for you than you can think or imagine Now that's who our God is. And to me, that's one of the most encouraging things. I've heard people say, why does the Lord let us go through it? I say, well, it's all connected into a whole lot of theology that maybe is a little too deep to understand for most people, but He's going to pay us back for eternity for enduring it. Now that's what I can say about it. we got a mess right now, without question. But what I know... Because I have faith and I trust His Word implicitly that it's going to be all right forever. Forever. That's hard to grasp. Whatever is virtuous, honorable, right, pure, truth, let your mind dwell on those things. When you turn on the news and see all the junk that's going on, let your mind dwell on the the good stuff. The principles avoid a hypocritical show of honor. In Romans twelve nine, that I believe is the probably the second most concise paragraph on love that's to be found anywhere in the Bible. First Corinthians thirteen, four to eight ends up with love never fails. That is love is patient and is kind, and is gentle. It's read at many, many weddings. Is the the promises that are made. But Romans 12:9 to 21 is all about love too. And it starts off with He agape on hypocrites. The love. On without hypocrisy. There's no verb in it. It's as strong as you can possibly make a statement. The love that we want. The love of God. We're not trying to fool Him because it's not going to work. And the love for one another is to be without hypocrisy. And then it goes through and it gives principles in there from 10 to 21 about what this means. It's like love is patient, it's kind, it's gentle. And it's got a similar set of things that goes from verse 9 to verse 21. And it says, never take your own revenge. That's That closes out. Leave room for the wrath of God. He said, I will repay. That's a promise. So all the evil that is being done to missionaries, and ministers, in Afghanistan, Iran, India, Nepal, Tibet. It's going on and on and on. And all that that is being done to them, the Lord's going to take care of it one of these days. He is. But He wants everybody to be saved and come to a full knowledge of the truth. So nobody will be able to accuse him in the final accounting of all this that you just weren't patient enough. He's got the proof that indeed he was. The second thing is, keep your word. Psalm 15, 4C, is an amazing little psalm that is found. David says, uh, it starts off, If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Uh, basically, if the foundations and pillars of society are are destroyed, the military might. What will the righteous do? How will they protect and defend themselves? And it says, A wise man, and it says, He is a, an honorable man, swears to his own hurt, and does not change. Now, in the past... All of us, I'm sure, have broken our word one or more times in our lives. But the point is, Christianity is a new beginning every day and we want to live this day in honor and service to our Lord. Let's see. Integrity is the most valuable and respected quality of leadership. So always keep your word. Always do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for your, just for your all-out goodness. Thank you for your plan <clears> that has already laid up for us treasures in heaven. And Father, I pray in that sense, we will, we will want them. We'll want all that we can get. We'll also want others to get all they can get. And that we will encourage one another, hold up one another's hands as they pray all along the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.